Hello and welcome back to A Method to the Madness, the fortnightly podcast where we discuss, analyze, and otherwise ponder our favorite films and television. I'm your host, Patrick, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mitchie. Hello. And we've made a bit of a change recently. Would you want to elaborate on that, Mitchie? Yeah, so, wait, is this with regards to our upload yes. frequency, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, we might have said this something, we might have said something about this in the last podcast, but... Patrick and I have decided to upload on a fortnightly basis now, which is why we've changed our intro a little bit, a little bit confusing. And uh, yeah, just because we've been particularly busy. But, Mm. you know, we might go back to being weekly at some point again in the future. Just depends what's going on in our lives. Yeah, for the moment, it's uh, we're prioritizing quality over quantity, which I think is a yeah, good way to do Actually, yeah, yeah. We thought, like, you know, there's no point kind of smashing one out every week when you could do one every two weeks, but it'd be better. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 And this week, we are talking about Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance, the 2014 film directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu, starring Michael Keaton, Edward Norton, and Emma Stone. As always, it's our second 2014 movie in a row. Hey, wait, what? What did we do? Wait, no, Brick was what? 20. It wasn't 2014. Oh, wait. What are you talking yeah, about? What the fuck am I on about? <laughs> oh, wait, no, 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 no. The sec, not in a row, but the one before that was uh. La La wait, La no, Land, which no, was 2016. So- yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, what, the fuck what am are I you on even about? talking about? <laughs> This is our first 2014 film. Wait, I might have watched something, maybe. Oh, I watched, yeah, I watched the 2014 movie a couple of days ago. Yeah. Yes. Don't worry. Yeah. As always, we're going to first impressions. Mitchie, what did you think of this? So, what do I think of this? I think that, well, I've watched a couple of movies from 2014 just to kind of, because I, I like awards and, and critical acclaim of movies. It's kind of like how I judge a movie, which isn't a good thing. But, <laughs> um, but, I honestly think, like, I've watched some other movies from this year, and this isn't my personally favorite film, but I completely support the fact that Birdman won Best Picture and Best Director, because, honestly, like, it was just a cinematic masterpiece, in my opinion. Like, everything from the acting, the cinematography, the direction, even the soundtrack, to some degree, it was just Oh, perfect. I love the like, soundtrack, the drums. Yeah, 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 the drums. Like, it's so progressive during the long shots. Like, it really drives the scenes forward in a weird yes. way. But it's just literally drums. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I I can't floor it in that sense. Like, honestly. And, and like, I, like I said, I didn't personally enjoy it as much as some other movies. But, honestly, like, some of the acting in it was amazing. Like, one bit that stood out to me was when Michael Keaton, um, a.k.a. Birdman, has, like, that fit in his... Uh, acting in his room and he starts throwing all that shit around but obviously it's him imagining him throwing it around with secret powers but he's not actually doing it <laughs> and like the acting and and the Birdman speaking to him in his conscience it was just like that really like it was just just a hair-raising performance like it was just awesome and it says a lot like I, 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 I'm gonna enjoy discussing this one because there's it's quite deep I think from a filmmaking perspective I do like the fact that it's it's film within film I do like that as a kind of um a plot because it really kind of highlights the medium that it exists in which is you know always an interesting Mm -hmm. thing to kind of ponder and man I just like yeah this movie is just phenomenal like jeez it was just great like I I I really enjoyed it and I think it's one of the most well-produced movies I've ever seen fuck yeah dude um yes yeah what about you? I too think this movie is fucking phenomenal. Uh, I love this movie yeah. so much. You know, um, I'm sure this wasn't the first film to start this this one shot phenomenon. I'm sure, there was like some French or 
Italian or Russian film that was filmed in one take <laughs> yeah. in the seventies or something. But you know, this was certainly the first yeah. <laughs> film to introduce it into Hollywood and by extension into Western mainstream. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Since since this has taken off, I've seen you know a lot of these. Um, I've seen a lot of these one shot takes now in films, and the thing about them is a lot of them draw attention to themselves to the like the camera work, and I become sort mm. of a t- detached from the story whenever I see that. Birdman is the first yeah. film that's done this one shot thing. That's actually uh, that drew me in further to the story um, due to the camera work. It is just so seamless, and it just the highest praise. Yeah, you're yeah, right. The highest praise that I can give this film is that not only is the cinematography beautiful and seamless, but it also harmonizes with the themes and the concepts of the story. Yeah, yeah. and it is just like yeah. endlessly enjoyable and interesting. Yeah, it's not very jarring, is it? No, yeah. like. Like, even even 1917, when I watched that first, I was a little bit uncomfortable. I definitely got into it, but, but this one, no, I didn't feel that at all. Mm. It just kind of felt natural. It was yeah. okay. Yeah, it just completely yeah. seeps into, like, the back of your mind. Um, yeah. yeah. It puts the story for, uh, first and forefront. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 1917 was the second film that did that to me. Yeah, I was the same as you at first. It kind of, I did, it did have my attention to the camera work, but, like, as the movie went on, it just kind of um, underscored what was actually happening. Um, and we talked about this in, uh, Uncut Gems a bit, but the nature of this film, I think, is another Dharma film, which I'll elaborate a bit on oh. later. And it, le- it leaves me with the same kind of existential euphoria as American Beauty, which is one of my favorite films of all time. And for that, Birdman has just cemented its place within my soul as this paramount example of artistry. And I fucking love it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't quite get that feeling like I did in Uncut and, um, American Beauty, but interesting. Yeah. So... Can you take us through a plot summary, please? Yeah, so, Birdman. Washed-up celebrity-slash-actor Riggan Thompson is attempting an ambitious feat of artistry as he's directing, writing, and starring in a stage adaptation of a short story, What We Talk About When We Talk About Love, by Raymond Carver. Thompson's most well-known role is for playing the lead in a superhero movie called Birdman many years ago, and so this new creative endeavour is a means to prove that he's worth more than being just a trivial pursuit question. He hires Mike Shiner, acted by Edward Norton, a pompous yet brilliant method actor who acts as a wild card in Riggins' production, causing a number of things to go awry. Meanwhile, Riggins' strained relationship with his daughter, Sam, acted by Emma Stone, gets explored throughout the film and reaches a somewhat catharsis by the end, coming to terms with the fact that he never was or is going to be an important figure etched in history. He slowly starts to shed his ego, and the toxic mindset that he's held thus far of placing himself at the centre of the universe. During the final and proper run of the play, he brings an actual gun to the climax of the play and shoots himself. He wakes up in hospital, and we find out that he missed and only shot off his nose. He partially reconciles with his wife and daughter, and is now a big shot celebrity all over again, as his play receives outstanding reviews. He looks out of the window into New York City, jumps out, and his daughter watches in awe and shock as we are left with an ambiguous ending. The end. He becomes the Birdman. Yeah. Okay. So what happened at the end? <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> she looks up. She looks up. Not down. Yeah. Yeah. Sam. When she looks out the window, she's smiling and looks up into the sky. And I was like, "Fuck!" So he is like, be- he does become the Birdman. But obviously, th- that's not what happens because he's not fucking gonna start flying in real <laughs> life. So. Well, I mean, you know, the- there's a couple surreal moments sprinkled throughout the film when he's using his telekinesis abilities to destroy the rooms and stuff inside his own head. Yeah, but but then but then we when we when it cuts to the guy walking in and he sees him doing it, it's actually him just throwing it around. Right, yeah. So we're meant to believe that uh that's 
a representation his of his imagination. own neuroses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what happens at the end then? Well, I, I take it as a metaphor for as if he's ascended into something akin to nirvana. Um, right. You know, like a sort of, I guess, spiritual freedom. Um, because sort but, of like Kevin Spacey at the end of American Beauty. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of shed the troubles of that, is, that have plagued him throughout his life, and it, you know, it's it's, it's, it, it's there's an irony because he's ascending as if he's Birdman, which is the which is the shadow that has plagued him throughout his life. You know, which has given him this this toxic ego. Yeah. True. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's like it, it's a weird kind of ending. It is, it is, and obviously it's it's super ambiguous. But then it, I I didn't actually quite bother to. But if you listen through to the credits, it just the sound the the audio from the film actually keeps going, and you hear ambulances and stuff, oh. and people kind of com- commuting, which kind of implies that maybe he did throw himself off and die. Oh, yeah, okay. Like it goes on for ages for a good like three, four minutes after the credits start rolling, and then and then like the soundtrack starts. But like, but yeah, if you, I feel like if you listen to that, it might give you more insight. And I'm pretty sure it's meant to say that he did throw himself off, but she looks up. That's what I'm confused about. She looks up. Fuck, that's a dark ending, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. You know, he tried to shoot himself. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's probably. I, I imagine, like Inception, the ambiguity is part of the substance of that ending. It's what makes yeah. it special, yeah. Yeah, and maybe it doesn't matter, like, the ending of Inception. Yes. Although, why was Birdman taking a shit right at the end? <laughs> yeah, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's chucking his shit in the toilet when he was looking at his nose, and then he proceeds to throw himself off the thing. It's just such a weird thing to happen, <laughs> like... He's <laughs> going for a poo. Like, why? <laughs> this movie, it's like it's it's really dark, but it's really funny at the same time. Oh yeah, yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> I was laughing so much in it. One of my favorite jokes is um Zach Galifianakis's character, where he's he's yeah. like gonna put the poster away, and he's like, "No, the crew gave that to you. Don't fuck with those guys. They're union." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like such a, like a like dispassionate kind of thing to say, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, the last time I flew here from L.A., George Clooney was sitting like two seats in, in front of me with a nice pair of cufflinks and that rocking chin. We ended up flying through this really, really horrible storm. I mean, it was, the plane was like rattling and shaking. And uh, all the people on board were crying. I mean, crying, praying, right? I just sat there. They were crying. I sit there, and I'm thinking, oh boy, next morning, when Sam looks at the paper, it's going to be Clooney's face on the front page, not mine, (laughs) you know, boom. (sighs) Did you know Fairflosa died the exact same day as Michael Jackson? Is that crazy? Why did we break up? Because you threw a kitchen knife at me. And an hour later, you were telling me how much you loved me. You know, just because I didn't like that ridiculous comedy you did with Goldie Hawn did not mean that I did not love you. That's what you always do. You confuse love for admiration. Yeah, okay, so... Oh, yeah, let's read out the quote from the beginning. He says... Yeah, the Raymond Carver quote. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it goes, And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. 
and what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on this earth. And that's Raymond Carver from Late Fragment, which I believe is one of his short stories. Yep. Um, yeah, and obviously uh, the play in uh, this film is by Raymond Carver also. It's about mm. um, this woman who had an abusive ex um, who tried to kill her, which parallels, you know, uh, Riggin and there's that bit yep. when he's talking to his ex-wife and she mentions how he pulled a knife on her and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some other weird parallels. Uh, is This is a pretty big one. That much like Riggin Thompson being a washed-up actor from playing a superhero in the 80s, Michael Keaton played Batman in 1989 mm. and mm. subsequently his career kind of dwindled after that. And yeah. um, I, was, I was looking this up and apparently Alejandro Inarritu had the script and he gave it to Michael Keaton, uh, but he didn't write it with Michael Keaton in mind. And then when Michael Keaton read it, he was like, are you making fun of me? <laughs> and Inarritu <laughs> was like, no, no, no. Like, this is just like, I wrote this before I had you in mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose he, because man, I don't really know much shit that he's in that's very successful. Yeah, exactly. Like. He, he had kind of like a resurgence recently with this, and then um, he was in the new Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's it's just so bizarre, the one-to-one parallels. Yeah. Yeah, it's like very on point. You know, Birdman, Batman, yeah. Um, also, what about like, Edward Norton? Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> there's that bit where he has a, goes in a fist fight with Michael Keaton, and Edward yeah, Norton, yeah, of yeah. course, is known for Fight Club. So, so what uh, is a method actor exactly? A method actor. It's when... Yeah. You get so into the role that in between takes you're still in character. It's like oh, what he's like Ledger a did. Jim Carrey. Or yes, yeah, yeah, yeah Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey yeah. for Man on the Moon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay, right. And he did think, that for Fight Club, did he? No, I don't think so. I think I think he he's just a really great actor. Is all yeah. is like the yeah. connection um, of his character Mike and the real life Edward Norton. But yeah, I, yeah. I mean, apart from that, um, there's not really that much um, paralleling there. Yeah. And yeah. I tried to look up if Emma Stone was like a drug addict, and she isn't, so I don't know. It's just Regan Thompson, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> in, in terms of Emma Stone, this is quite a, um, not a very nice portrayal of, like, she doesn't get a very nice character, I suppose, because normally I'm quite used to seeing her, and she's quite a lovely person, you know, in most of the films she, right. she decides to act in. And this one, she's like very gritty, kind of, you know, it's not a very nice character, which is kind of unusual for her. Yeah, I suppose it is. Okay, yeah. Some tidbits of, like, symbols and imagery that I've uh, noticed. Um, I love how the film starts off with Riggan Thompson in, like, the lotus position, as if he's, like, meditating, yeah. but um, his his posture is, like, so skewed and is, like, yeah. really uneven. I, I feel like it's a good, like, reflection of his state of being. Just and he's skewed. in fucking underwear. Yeah, yeah. It's not very pleasant to look at either. <laughs> I look like a turkey. You've got leukemia. Yeah. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh yeah, uh, at the end, when he shot, shoots off his nose, he gets a slightly bigger nose, as if it's like a beak. Yeah. Yeah, uh, my roommate pointed that out. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, the, the big one is that the, the one take mimicking the theatre experience of real time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think that's why it works so well, because you feel like you're watching a play. You, right. You've gone to the theatre and you're watching a play, and because obviously that's all in one go, and even though, like... 
they don't move that much in terms of where you are in the film. You're pretty much in the same building the whole time. And it's like a, almost like a set piece, you know, where you go to the theater and then they, it goes black for a second. They put the curtain down and it opens up and then it's a different room and they just use the same two or three rooms over and over again in a typical theater play. And this is the same. It's always the same, um, you know, the backstage area of this theater, the bar and mm. the roof. And that's pretty much all we kind of go through. And of course, there's a scene where Michael Keaton runs through New York and Times Square and stuff. But aside from that, it's pretty much the same locations over and over. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that and is that's why really it feels cool. good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. As opposed to 1917, which is like, you walk a span of fucking 10k over the whole movie. This movie doesn't go anywhere physically. Yeah. Well, even yeah. when he does go places, it's like not far from the theater. Like when he no when he gets really drunk and goes to buy like that uh, alcohol, you know yeah, he he, yeah. he walks like down the street from the fucking theater and yeah he passes out. And that's there. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like how the ellipses in time is th- how they do it. Is just the camera pans up to the sky and then there's like a time lapse of it going yeah, that, to morning. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still keeps that continuity. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about that issue. And again, that's such a theatre thing to do as well. Right, You just yeah. kind of, like, close the curtains and then change the lighting or something, you know, and then, you know, it's night time. Like, yeah. It's, I just felt like I was watching a play on screen. That was a little bit more dynamic, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you think of any, like, places where it actually cut, though? No. Nah. Yeah, me neither. I, I yeah. seem... Or th- when he walks out of the bar, a couple, like, and back into the bar, the it goes black. So obviously there's a cut there. Well, uh, I mean, like, th- as in the camera pans and then there's like a black bit in between, but it's... Yeah, yeah. yeah like, well, sort of like in 1917 when he goes in the bunker at the start. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of places throughout the film where the camera, you know, does some... It's, it's, it's like, as a film literate people, we can identify that as a place where they cut, but like, I'm talking like... Yeah. Places where they actually hard cut, like deliberately. I think so. I think they hard cut when they look into the sky and there's a time lapse, right? Because mm-hmm. when the camera pans back down, it's just a totally different set of buildings. It's like a different shot entirely. Right. So yeah. Obviously, if you are actually going back down to the same place and you never cut, then we should see the same shit, but it's a different building. Right. But you yeah, can't but- tell the cut because the sky's clear, so there's no change in the scenery in the sky. They still made an effort to make it look as though there wa- it wasn't cut, though. Oh no, hundred percent. But yeah. and the thing is, I don't think you can really tell where the real cuts are because, like, I keep reading about like nineteen seventeen and where they cut that. And I know, like, that's the only other movie I've seen that's like that. So, I so I'm sorry I keep referring to it. But like, <laughs> but like when they walk over the trench in that, apparently there was a cut there, but it look doesn't look like a fucking cut at all. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure this movie will be cut in all sorts of places. Although I think I read that it truly only had about seven or eight cuts. That's like amazing. Filming that's wise, the case. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know 1917 had a lot more than that. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Seven or eight cuts. That means they had to have, I, I guess, if you evenly spread it out over the course of a two-hour movie, roughly what 20 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes of each section had to be done perfectly in person. You know, mm. which is on the order of what a, a play usually is. Usually, the acts in a play along that kind of. So, you know, when you look at it like that, it's like you kind of appreciate the effort and kind of like the, the and which is an interesting aspe- aspect, right? Because like this movie is kind of about like film versus theatre. That's a big motif in this, you know, like uh, Regan yeah. was in film. He wants to get into theatre and then the critic insults him saying, you know, theatre is way beyond your level. You were just doing shit stuff in blockbuster films, making a lot of money. And like, I think people kind of right. do underappreciate the fact that like, in theatre, 
it, it can be quite difficult because everything does need to be perfect the first time because you're showing to an audience live. But in film, you can cut and paste and do all sorts of shit to mask mistakes and, and flaws in our actors or the production. Mm. And yeah, I think it highlights that kind of thing. Yeah, I love how that conflict of film versus theatre is highlighted, uh, or it r- rather is represented through the characters of Regan and Mike. And, you know, it's, it's like that conflict is such a, like a rich vein of meaning that yeah. permeates throughout the film. Yeah. And I like how Mike throughout the film espouses how theatre is a medium closer to truth. Yeah. Because um, unlike, unlike film, theatre has no pretension because it's a transient medium. Because, you know, that's how plays are. There, there's certain and unique talent attached to each production of a play. Yeah. And then that's the only time you'll ever see it. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not, obviously it's not recorded. So each time it's different. Right, okay. Um, yeah. And, yeah, like how he says the previews are used to figure out what the play is and that all that matters is the opening night. Yeah. Right? Yeah. As in, yeah, it's it's like a it's unique. Yeah, and contrast this to film, which is memorialized and lasts forever, right? Yeah. So in this instance, film represents leaving an imprint on history to be immortal, whereas theater is all about living in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Which is you know a pretty you know Riggin and Mike pretty much. Well, that's what Mike goes on about, right? Like he feels alive when he's on stage. That's why he gets right. a boner on stage because he knows he's alive yeah. on stage, you know, like he says like real life has no meaning and I suppose that is like maybe like if Mike was doing it for a movie, he was getting filmed on camera, you know. He wouldn't mm. feel that same, I don't know, the life that he does feel on theater in in theater. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I like how you'd think that you know, uh, Mike being this theatre buff who's all about truth, mm. you, you think that it would give him the philosophical high ground to Regan's character, but I like how both of them yeah. live uniquely vapid lives. Yeah. So Regan is unfulfilled because he's too worried about being adored, whereas Mike is too concerned with the opposite, yeah. which is the process of selfless expression. Yeah. So giving himself to the art form. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, this has like a negative effect on him because... He's only able to live vicariously through his acting and unable to actually live a fulfilling life yeah. on his own. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a cool contrast between those two characters. Yeah. And yeah. Can I do something to disrespect you? Not yet. Look, I have a lot riding on this fucking play. Oh, is that right? Yeah. People know who I am. My- Bullshit. They, they don't know you, your work, man. They know the guy from the bird suit who goes and tells coy, slightly vomitous stories on Letterman. Oh, I'm sorry if I'm popular, Mike. Popular. You know, I don't give a shit. Popular? Popularity is this bloody little cousin of prestige, my friend. Okay, I don't even know what the fuck that means, so... Mm-hmm. Okay. It, 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 it means my reputation for riding on this, and that's worth a... A, a lot. A lot, exactly. Right. Fuck right. you. Yes. If this doesn't work out for you, you fuck off back to your studio right. pals and dive back into that cultural genocide you guys are perpetrating. You know, the douchebag's born every minute. That was P.T. Barnum's premise when he invented the circus, and nothing much has changed. And you guys know that if you crank out any toxic piece of crap, people will line up and pay to see it. But long after you're gone, I'm gonna be on that stage, earning my living, bearing my soul, wrestling with complex human emotions. That's what we do. Oh, so that, is that what tonight was about? You wrestling with complex emotions? I was just about seeing it. So, what was a meteor about? Um... I think, I don't know. well, actually, it, it, yeah, so the meteor, it's to emphasize the, the Dharmic quality I was talking about. Right, okay. Um, in what way? Okay, so, yeah. So, okay, a refresher, uh, in case you didn't see our uncut podcast, which you probably did. Well, you listen. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, a Dharma film is a film that frames human conflict within the scope of the totality of the universe. So, it kind of trivializes human struggles, but 
not in a way that makes it seem unimportant. In fact, it's the opposite. By, ma by making it seem insignificant, it highlights the sublime and beautiful nature of human existence. So with regards to Uncut Gems, and brief spoiler, it's, I guess, when yeah. Howard Ratner dies at the end, that kind of, the, his death accentuates the problems and, and his kind of, how fucked up he is as a character and how fucked up the world he, mm. he lives in throughout the movie. In a, I don't know, in a, it's, yeah, like it, it is a very difficult thing to kind of put into words, but like yeah, in that one, it was kind of very like cosmicist feeling. Like you kind of feel like, yes. yeah, yeah. That, and Exactly. My favorite way that Uncut Gems articulates it is how the opening scene is those miners in Ethiopia yeah, and just the complete pandemonium and chaos that there is there. Yeah. And then it, you know. And then that's the only part where you see that. And then the rest of the film is around Howard Ratner and his struggle to, you know, to pretty much gain wealth and pay off his, you know, uh, loan sharks and stuff. Yeah. Completely different struggles, yet they're connected by this one singular rock yeah. um, on opposite sides of the earth yeah. in different times. Yeah. And it just evokes that kind of existential, like, cosmic feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in this case, how does yeah. the asteroid work or the meteor work to do that um well do you know this filmmaker called terence malick uh oh yeah yeah he's um thin yeah. red line uh tree of life tree of life is on yes, my list of movies to watch because i know that's kind of a potentially could be a dharma film yes it, uh, I was, he's i was about weird. to use tree of life as a reference yeah yeah, yeah i haven't seen it yet but i want to what terence malick does is he juxtaposes images of like homely and the mundane with images of the primordial. Mm. So there'll be like a shot of a house in suburbia, and then the next shot will be of like velociraptors roaming around right. on ancient Earth, kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, and you know the same kind of juxtaposition is happening in Birdman, just not as egregiously through images, but rather through the themes of the story. Yeah. But you know it does through images as well, like the meteor. That's what. You know, there's occasional flashes of the media. I'm pretty sure that's... It's meant to contrast that, you know, this fucking, like, cosmic level event with the with the trivial conflicts of Rig and Thompson, you know. But but the only problem is it, the, the shots are only at the very start and end, so you kind of forget about it during the movie. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but it kind of sets the mood, though. Like, at least for me, it did. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this <sighs> kind of, like, ominous music with it, and then the, the music was cool with it. And I love the, how yeah. the quote comes up, and it's with the beat of the drums and the letters come up randomly but when i saw the beach shot with all the jellyfish on there and which i when at the start of the movie it was so fucking quick that like i thought they were plastic bags or something and then mm. like the meteor i kind of yeah it didn't really have much context and then at the end of the movie i got the context on the beach shot because there were the jellyfish and that was when riggan tried to kill himself which mm. i thought was interesting like what, what did you think of that like like obviously that was a very big meaning in his life, but really we only see him talk about that kind of briefly to his ex-wife, how he tried to kill himself in the sea and he couldn't because he ended up being attacked by a bunch of jellyfish and then he kind of, the jellyfish saved him in a weird way. I mean, what do you think it means to show that shot of a beach with all those jellyfish on it? Well, actually, I think you just said it. it the jellyfish saved him. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. That that, that moment was such a Terrence Malick moment. Like, um, <laughs> it was. It's it's really weirdly beautiful. I uh, yeah, and yeah. I I watched Terrence. I, I like. So I have actually seen Tree of Life, but I watched it as a kid, 
and fuck i hate oh, okay. i thought it was such a boring movie <laughs> and i watched it with my mum and and my my family and i when we grew up we used to watch like a shitload of movies and and you know we that's where a lot of my love for movies come from it's just them always renting out movies and we we're just watching new movies all the fucking time and some of them are total trash and others were great you know and as a mm-hmm. kid like yeah i when i watched tree of life it didn't really have any meaning to me. I was like, fuck, this is boring. Because it's a fucking long movie from what I recall. So, which is why when I say I haven't really seen it, I haven't really seen it because I really want to watch it as an adult and and kind of get this dharmic thing from it. And it's kind of a big problem with these movies, you know, like you can, like Uncut Gems is, 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 is a good one because I don't know. I know a lot of people that don't like it, but it kind of builds a lot of tension and you feel kind of fucked watching it. And that kind of hooks you to it. And then you got American beauty, which mostly is just like a domestic comedy for like most of the movie. And then all the, of the Dharmic quality stuff happens at the end. And at least you can feel hooked <laughs> to the movie, but with Terrence Malick from experience, cause you know, like he, he's kind of a bit more like, yeah, like, it is kind of a little bit slow and boring. And, and I feel like yeah. the same with Birdman, which is why I didn't personally connect with it so well, unlike I did with Uncut Gems. Like, you know, that that's one of my favorite movies of all time. And But this movie, not so much personally. Yeah, you know what? You're not wrong with um, Terrence Malick. Like, <laughs> his, it's, it's interesting and it, it's like a real moody film. But yeah, like, you know what? It's... Um... I don't want to say boring, but it's just, it's a certain type of film. I feel like you need to be like slightly, you know, high. On some, on some sort of substance. Yeah, yeah sorry. On, on some sort of narcotic, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Um, Narcotics. Yeah. yeah. You need to be tweaking on meth to enjoy that. <laughs> hey, weed is a narcotic. Is it? Yeah. Narcotic is just a term for any drug that's oh, mostly, okay. but an illegal drug mostly. It's just right, usually yeah, it's referred okay. to with, with cocaine and shit, but it's not necessarily true. But yeah, you're right. Like, it's kind of a bit like that. And and this movie, not so much because it is very exciting and the acting and, and what happens in it is a little bit more like for people who aren't so interested in that kind of stuff. It's a little bit more, got more substance to it, you know, a bit more excitement. It keeps you a little bit more hooked. Yeah, I always, I always forget that um, <laughs> American Beauty is like, a totally different movie for the first two <laughs> thirds and then at the last act it just like turns into this weird yeah. like existential commentary Man, yeah. i love that movie fucking hell yeah yeah but i mean you know like what wait have you've only seen it once right yeah yeah i, I think you'll benefit from watching it again because i like yeah, throughout I'll, the I'll film that that character um the the guy who records everything um he's like the main uh puppet that sort of espouses all the this yeah. like you know existential rhetoric and stuff and yeah i think plastic bag and shit yeah, pla- yeah yeah exactly the 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 plastic bag speech is um when you contrast that with uh lester's like life and the relationship between those two characters is really interesting uh it, i think it, that is what gives the film that dharmic quality is that um yeah sort of like very yeah the the mundane like i i want to say ignorance but you you know like the just the unawareness of Lester to have a fulfilling life is sort of like accentuated by um, that character. The I forget his name. The, the kid. Wes. Yeah. The yeah. seed. Yeah. Yeah. It in the same way. I think the main arc of Regan Thompson in Birdman, of breaking out of his self-obsessed frame of mind and accepting the transient nature of his existence, is you know it's 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 fed by those images of like the jellyfish of. 
these surreal moments of like that media and stuff. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. Like I, I didn't feel it, but, but yeah, I can see how that would work. Like, I don't know what the difference yeah, is. I I'm, just didn't get that. Not like I didn't. Yeah. Those other two films. I mean, yeah. So, you know, I, this is like the fourth time I've watched this film because I right. love it so much. And yeah, I, obviously, you know, have, me having that context, I was able to put those pieces together. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, fuck man. I love this film. God damn. It, it, it is. I 100% agree with you. I mm. like, cool. you know, if you, if you fucking love this film, I understand why you fucking love this film. You know, we're doing <laughs> some yeah. Blade Runner shit, you know, like, you know, <laughs> I, I appreciate your opinion. <laughs> And I understand it. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's like the most like, I appreciate your opinion, putting your hand on my shoulder. Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, I love this movie though. I think it's great. Like, I just yeah. didn't get the whole Dharma thing too much. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, you're talking about you. Now, what else is do The thing the where I'm thinking about me. Look, I'm trying to do something that's important. This is not important. It's important to me. Okay, maybe not to you or your cynical friends whose only ambition is to go viral, but to me, this is, my God, this is my career. This is my chance to finally do some work that actually means something. It means something to who? You had a career, Dad, before the third comic book movie, before people started to forget who was inside that bird costume. You were doing a play based on a book that was written 60 years ago for a thousand rich old white people whose only real concern is gonna be where they go to have their cake and coffee when it's over. Nobody gives a shit but you. And let's, Face it, Dad, you are not doing this for the sake of art. You are doing this because you want to feel relevant again. Well, guess what? There is an entire world out there where people fight to be relevant every single day, and you act like it doesn't exist. Things are happening in a place that you ignore, a place that, by the way, has already forgotten about you. I mean, who the fuck are you? You hate bloggers, you mock Twitter, you don't even have a Facebook page. You're the one who doesn't exist. You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. It's not important, okay? You're not important. Get used to it. Something something I forgot to mention, by the way, for that, like that film versus theater thing. Uh, I, I, I love that line of Reagan when he's like talking about he, how he missed the birth of his daughter because he was recording it. Mm. It's, an, it's another interesting argument, I suppose, to... Well, it's it's another interesting development of his transition from, you know, not want not caring about being memorialized, yeah. as in as if, you know, th- that's what film represents. Yeah, because he was filming it. Yeah. 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 True. Yeah. So this actually is one of the least profitable best picture winners of all time. Oh yeah. Which doesn't really surprise me too much. It's not something that many people go and watch, right? Like, I, like I heard about Birdman, but there wasn't much of a craze about it. Like, say, about Parasite, you know, a lot of people did go and watch that, but or try to watch it if they could. But in this one, yeah, apparently it's one of the least profitable films. But like, it it won a bloody it won so many awards. Like, it got nine nominations at the Oscars and won four of them, which is pretty impressive. And I honestly think it deserves all of those. And it's kind of a weird thing. Like, I was just thinking about like. You know, we've talked about this in our Parasite podcast about what it takes to win an Oscar, but I just, this broke some tremendous territory in filming, you know, as a, as a, as a technique, just because it is all in one shot. And it kind of, like you said before, it made this a thing in Hollywood because prior to that, it wasn't really a thing in, in mainstream uh, film techniques, right? And 
just because of that alone, I think it just should win Best Picture, you know. It tried it, and it did it very well. Therefore, it should win Best Picture. And it's kind of a weird thing, like, but then why do some other movies win Best Picture? It's like, it's a difficult thing to judge, but it's kind of a shame that this movie, like, I feel like really deserves it. It's actually one of the least profitable ones, so, yeah. <laughs> I imagine, this is just a theory, but um, people went to watch it, like Birdman superhero film they went to watch it and then they was like what that was shit there was no fucking superhero shit about it and then they told all that their was friends a bit. about how disappointed there was that was a yeah, bit yeah for like a couple seconds yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh some fucking boring drama about some some Plays. dude who's an actor oh, just yeah theater fuck theater <laughs> yeah where I wanted wanted Birdman the superhero and then you know that probably no one would see it well I'm not gonna lie I thought it was gonna be boring too because of that reason I I I I, <laughs> no, I actually shit you not about like four years ago i started to watch it because i knew it was all in one shot and that's just kind of what intrigued me about it and i started to watch it and i got about 10 minutes in and i switched it off i can't remember why (laughs) but i did and like i'm kind of disappointed in myself that i did that but i'm a better person now and i watched it and i appreciate (laughs) it but like like you know it's just like i suppose like just because it's best picture doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a lot of money which which is kind of like an interesting irony because that's the whole point of the movie like birdman made a fuckload of money and he and birdman keeps saying to riggan like oh you know you know you should go back and make blockbusters you'll be on big tv again blah 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 you make billions and like right and this film didn't do that it's kind of interesting yet it's very well appreciated so saying that yeah money isn't everything and that's exactly what the movie says, and that's exactly what the movie did. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's another meta parallel. It's yeah. funny as yeah, um, yeah. I, I like how it's like very. Um, it utilizes the time period at which it came out like very well. Yeah, you know, after the first Avengers in yeah. on TV in the film, it, yeah. it talks about Robert Downey yeah. Jr. and shit. Like, I was actually so surprised. I was just fully referring to that shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, like like no one to one at all. It was just the thing, you know. Yeah, and there was no shame. Yeah. They're like, oh, Robert Downey Jr. and just full on <laughs> talking about like all these real actors and like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's bizarre that way, and and yet they, you know, they they make Riggan Thompson Birdman instead of just Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah maybe there were some issues there. And they didn't, they didn't talk about Edward Norton being the Incredible Hulk, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, how does that continuity work? It's broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, there's probably, it says some things about uh, the state of superhero films and uh, cinema, yep. contemporary cinema and stuff. Yeah. Which, you know, I think that conversation has evolved since then. I think a lot of people understand, you know, the the nature and place of superhero films mm. in cinema. Like, they're, they're not fucking... Casablanca, but they are good entertainment. They're a well-done entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's a bit silly to compare. You know, like it's a bit silly to to be Scorsese. Yeah. To put it no other way, but um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I think we'll wrap it up there. Mitchy, do you have any recommendations for this week? I do. Um, it's another 2014 film, and it's not really related contextually. It's just from the same year. But I've been watching a lot of 2014 films recently, and some they were all very good ones. So I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel again recently fucking amazing film whiplash because uh, yeah. damien chazelle did la la land so naturally i watch whiplash and you know like this is up there with and it competes very well with birdman in terms of being best picture but i think birdman just clinches it but i watched a few days ago the theory of everything by john marsh sorry james marsh and 
So mm. I went into this movie and I'm like, I knew Eddie Redmayne got best actor for this. And I watched Birdman before that. And I was like, fuck, like, how did Michael Keaton not get best actor for this? Because fuck, he was just so good. And he was nominated. But you know about the theory of everything, what it's about? It's about Stephen Hawking, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Eddie Redmayne acts as Stephen Hawking. And it was a fucking great movie. Like, it was really emotional. And obviously, you know, the Stephen Hawking, like, he, he's gone now, but... He had um, motor neuron disease and obviously invest, you know, it, it spans over his life. So obviously the actor had to act like someone with motor neuron disease. And straight away I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. He gets best actor because fuck, he was so good in it. It's an incredible movie. Um, it, you know, like it's, I loved it. It's just highlights the, every his life so well. It doesn't go too deep into the science because he was a physicist and whatnot. It was just a great movie. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Very sad. Yeah. Um, What's your recommendation? So, in the same sort of vein as washed up actors having existential crises that they're not mm. relevant anymore, you know, if you listen to this show, you probably listen, you probably watched like, you know, good media, so you probably don't need me to recommend this, but fucking Bojack Horseman is a phenomenal show about mm. depression and existence. Oh, man. <laughs> it is like, it, it's, it starts off as a cartoon show just to yeah that's what i thought it was just like family guy or something yeah so yeah it's it's deceptive in that way it starts off pretty frivolous and then it it hits you with the hard shit about halfway through the first season and then it just it just spirals into darkness from there but yeah it um it ended i think this year it finished and it was one of the most poignant endings i've ever seen in any tv show ever yeah yeah great show okay all right, maybe I'll watch that. Yeah, dude, it's great. Um, Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> That's what we do. That's why we have this section. <laughs> so we can recommend each other movies <laughs> instead of the audience. <laughs> All right, where can people find us? Uh, people can find us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and on our website at amttm.com. If you have any questions, queries, anything like that, send an email through to mail at amttm.com. And we also have a Facebook and Instagram page. And check out zeroindent.com. That's zeroindent.com. That's a shared media platform that we've got at the moment. Our podcast, Method to the Madness, along with a bunch of other podcasts that are very similar and related. So if you basically enjoy our stuff, then you'll enjoy the stuff on there too. Yes, for sure. And what are we doing next week? Uh, so we're going to be doing the our first 2020 movie, actually, I Ooh. believe. So, yeah. Sputnik. Oh, wait, no, that's a lie. We did Tenet. Oh, uh, yeah, true. But that was a video podcast, a bit different. But uh, Sputnik, directed by Igor Abramenko. It's actually his directorial debut film. He's a new age Russian director. And I watched it in the, film, uh, in the cinemas a few weeks ago. It's sort of like a Russian alien, I suppose. But it's, a, it's quite different. And you haven't seen it yet, have you? Nope. Yeah, I'm actually pretty interested to do it. It's, it's, it's just some... A completely different movie, I suppose. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know what you'll think of it, but, yeah. It'll be our second film that's not American, I believe. Our first one being... Parasite. True, yes, because yeah. this is actually a foreign film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you say American, you mean English-speaking. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Western, yeah. I suppose. Well, I suppose Russian yeah, is sort of Western, but... Sort of. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a foreign film. All right, cool. So, join us next week for that. And... Yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you later. See ya. Bye.